Asian trading, $1,852 an ounce. And also Brent crude oil down a little bit, $50.72 a barrel. And not much movement in the currency markets. The US dollar, 103.7 Japanese yen, um, 1.34 um, against, the, uh, against the British pound. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please take care. Join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Back chats are coming up in just one moment. The weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy, rather cool in the morning, dry with sunny intervals during the day. Maximum temperature is going to be around 17 degrees. The outlook still rather cool in the morning in the next few days. Mainly fine early next week, and the temperature difference will be relatively large between day and night. 14 degrees right now, 75% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.31, here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The chairman of the Lankwai Fong Group, Alan Zeman, says the government's suppress and lift measures are killing the economy. He told RTHK that bars had been closed around 145 days this year because of the pandemic, and he agreed with the restaurant trade that at least $30 billion was needed to survive. The government yesterday said it hoped to submit a funding request to LegCo before Christmas for new relief for businesses affected by the latest round of closures. Mr Zeman said targeted closures would be better for the economy. The government's idea of suppress and lift, to me, just doesn't work. You know, I know they listen to the health experts, which I agree we have to, but there has to be economic experts as well. There needs to be a balance between both if you want to keep the economy alive because we'll have the healthiest people, but nobody's going to have a job. So there needs to be something that our suggestion is that you let businesses open, and then if there's a cluster in a restaurant or bar or a club or whatever, close it down for a week, sanitize it, and then put people back to work again. And that way the economy can continue. The four top U.S. congressional leaders have met to try to break months of stalemate over a trillion-dollar coronavirus relief package. The House Speaker Nancy Pelosi invited Mitch McConnell, who's the Senate Majority Leader, and the minority leaders from each chamber to talks. Speaking at a campaign event in Georgia, Joe Biden urged Congress to work on agreeing the package. People are struggling to pay their rent, worried that after Christmas they'll be thrown out before New Year's. Concerned about paying their mortgage, over 10 million. Putting food on the table has become a Herculean task for so many. And what's the United States Senate doing? Nothing. People need help, and they need it right now. The European Union has announced far-reaching proposals to hold the biggest technology firms to account. Platforms would have to disclose how their algorithms work to reveal who's trying to influence users. Search engines would have to stop favouring the host's own services. Here's the BBC's Andrew Walker. The ideas behind these proposals are to protect people online and to promote fairer and more open digital markets. Internet companies would have to take measures to enable illegal content to be flagged. There would be new rules on traceability for businesses to help track down sellers of illegal goods. The Commission proposals also target what it calls gatekeeper services that provide an important channel for businesses to reach their customers. They're not named but are likely to include Google, Facebook and Amazon. Failing to comply with the rules could lead to fines of up to 10% of their total revenue. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chivers and your co-host today is Andrew Work. Andrew, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today we're talking about oaths. It's reported that all government undersecretaries and political assistants are to take oaths of allegiance this morning as a prime for similar declarations to be made by the entire 180,000 strong civil service next month. Carrie Lam is expected to personally administer the vows for the political appointees, where they would pledge allegiance to Hong Kong and swear to uphold the basic law. Senior civil servants within the bureaucracy, including permanent secretaries and department heads, will reportedly follow suit on Friday. But those who refuse to pledge allegiance would be allowed to explain themselves, but they could be sacked or ordered to retire if their continued service is not in the public interest. What triggered uh, this arrangement so many years after the handover? Who should take the oath? What about teachers, for example, doctors, nurses? And what will follow from it? Will it change the behaviour, the impression of civil servants? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us, and our number is 233-88266. We look forward to hearing from you, 233-88266, our email address once again, bankchat at rthk. Uh, now, we're approaching the end of the year, and uh, for Bankchat, for the past, uh, what is it, 10 years or something, uh, we've been running our Person of the Year competition. It's mostly for fun. We've had some serious nominations. We've had some less serious uh, nominations and uh, votes uh, in the uh, past. Uh, well, we're doing it again for uh, 2020, and uh, this stage we're looking for ideas. So we're looking for at this stage uh, nominations. Uh, drop us a line if you think there's somebody who deserves to be our person of the year. That doesn't necessarily mean you approve of them, but you think that they have made a significant uh, contribution uh, to uh, the year's uh, events. It's pretty much kind of the same as a sort of a time. Uh, magazine uh, person of the year idea, uh, then uh, email us, bankchat.rthk.hk with your nominations and we'll start the vote, we'll try and start it next week bankchat.rthk.hk the email address for your nominations for person of the year uh, for this year uh, Andrew, any your your nomination? Well Hugh, you know you, you kind of you prompted me before we got started this morning and my, my immediate response of course was you know my wife for having to put up with all my BS all year, but I thought of somebody else in the interim, uh, and that's David Webb. And I know earlier this year, a lot of people were really shocked when David Webb uh, announced that he was going to be uh, taking up the fight against a pretty serious bout of cancer. And you know, kind of said he was going to have to step back from the fray a little bit uh, on, on account of the treatments and all that. But it appears that uh, I guess that's gone pretty well because he seems to have come roaring out of the gates and really been you know, providing even more of his outspoken and thoughtful, well-considered analysis of Hong Kong issues and policy and come up with actual concrete solutions, um, some of which were adopted almost within days of uh, him putting them out. They were kind of semi-adopted uh, by the government, which included paying people to have COVID. Uh, and I think that was, you know, an, an interesting uh, analysis and then uh, practical policy suggestion on his part that was kind of in in a way taken up by the government. So, I mean, David Webb would definitely be one of my nominees. OK, yeah. He's, I mean, among the things he's been doing is is posting all his a lot of material that he's published in the past, I think, including the Backchat interviews uh, mm -hmm. when he's taken part in this program. Yeah, I was surprised to see there were about 50 of them or something. <laughs> I think it's even perhaps even more. I think it's about one every month on average. Yeah, uh, yeah. So he's a, a regular contributor and uh, much valued, yeah. And, uh, these idea. contributions do take time. I mean, he puts an amazing amount of research into issues that nobody else can. He's like a, like a one-man, th as a founder of a think tank, I was just in awe of him, a one-man 
uh, think tank, and especially uh, given the the challenges he's been fighting on the personal front this year with his health. And uh, another nomination, this is from uh, Craig, actually Craig, Mandy, Lucy and Pippa, uh, who say, our family's nomination is Dr. Chuan Shuk Kwan from the Centre for Health Protection. Dr. Chuan works tirelessly or seemingly almost every day, revealing pandemic-related data and stats and addressing media inquiries in the most calm and reassuring way, even while going through personal tragedy. Her professionalism and dedication to citizens in Hong Kong is second to none. That comes from Craig so, and family. So, as I say, we're looking for a back chat person of the year. Drop us a line, backchat at rthk.hk. Thank you very much indeed for that. Um, just some other emails before we get to today's topic. Uh, are a couple related to uh, yesterday's programme. Magna says uh, on COVID, regarding the doctor's comments that perceived overreactions are in fact the correct reaction, absolutely. A stitch in time saves nine. The key is that the overreaction must be early at the start of the outbreak. In stark contrast, what the Hong Kong government does is sit on its hands and then progressively panic more and more with maximum panic and measures coming at the end. At that, at that point, it is a genuine overreaction and in fact extremely damaging. That comes uh, from Magnus. Uh, Andrew Kay says on vaccine, the average person has no ability to judge between vaccines. So if in doubt, don't have the vaccine and try your luck with the virus. Uh, exclamation mark. That comes from uh, Andrew Kay. I'm not quite sure what the tone of that is. Uh, and uh, Jay says, Dear RTHK, following your listener Pete this morning and another who attached an article concerning an ex-government official's wife hiding for 13 days and skipping quarantine, can we inquire whether the police investigation has started? Thank you. As I say, comes from Jay. And uh, uh, one more comment. This is uh, the uh, continuing uh, debate between uh, Matthew and uh, others. Matthew says, uh, addressing Martin's uh, email, which was shared yesterday, Matthew says, Martin, let's seek truth from facts, following the guidance of Chairman Mao, shall we? Please provide the facts to support your assertion that I suggested views be censored on Monday's programme. You just can't make stuff up. That said, I love the fact people like you, Herman, and previously another one using the name Tom, do so. It makes the show much more entertaining, and I would find it pretty boring without your Wanna Wolf cadre a Wolf Warrior Cadre to entertain us now that real pro-Beijing spokespeople are not allowed to appear on the programme. I would never suggest you be censored or constrained. Keep up the good work. Uh, and he adds, by the way, I remember a while ago Hugh requested that people not send multiple emails under different names. I'm sure that must have been done by evil pro-democracy people and would never have been done by those in crew pushing the patty line the party line. Uh, that's from uh, Matthew. Thank you very much indeed. Backchat at rthk.hk. Joining us now, uh, we have uh, Holok Sang, Senior Research Fellow in the Pan Sutong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University, and Andrew Lung, International and Independent China Strategist and former Director General of uh, Social Welfare, the former Deputy Secretary for Economic Services. Uh, Elizabeth Bosch will be joining us in the second part of the programme uh, after now. Uh, Holok Sang, good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Why do you think uh, the government wanted to do this uh, oath, uh, in introduced this uh, oath for civil servants? I think uh, uh, actually uh, civil servants are supposed to be uh, uh, supporting uh, the government in its uh, uh, work. Uh, that is what they are for. So I think... Uh, it has been assumed that uh, there's no 
just no need, you know, for, for anything addition, you know, you know, because it's more or less understood, you know, when they uh, are hired, uh, that is the job that they're doing. But uh, uh, over the years, it seems that uh, the behavior of some civil servants uh, is going astray. And because of that, uh, uh, the government uh, found it necessary, you know, to uh, ask them to make this oath. What, what would be an example of a government department or civil servants going astray? Well, uh, like, uh, uh, for example, some of... Uh, it, for example, in this, uh, uh, just uh, like the... The fugitive bill, okay, the fugitive mm -hmm. bill, um, some uh, civil servants uh, uh, come out in to join the protest uh, without really understanding, you know, uh, uh, the, the prerogative, you know, for, for, for the bill. And I think they really need to, to, to understand what, what, what they are for. And if they really disagree, you know, with, with, with uh, the... the um, the purpose of, of, the, of the government, you know, then, then they, they should quit. So, I mean, does this preclude civil servants from having an opinion on, uh, on, on legislation being formulated by the government? I mean, the, the no, oath, no, no, the oath no, no, is no, about SAR and the basic that, law. But, uh, but uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in a behavior, you know, in, in, um, <clears> they, can, they can retain those to the, uh, as private views, you know, it's okay. Mm. You know, but... Uh, um, you know, I I used to be a civil servant myself, you know, and uh, and uh, as a civil servant, uh, I was not actually allowed, you know, to speak my opinion to the press, you know, when I was uh, a member of the civil service. You see, so so uh, and I uh, accepted that and uh, and continued, you know, and uh, and I. And in the end, of course, I, I had quit it, and, uh, and, and uh, I understand that that's the rule of the game. So mm -hmm. if you join it, you, you should not uh, uh, do anything uh, uh, openly that uh, contrasts, you know, with the intent of the government. W would that include uh, going to a public demonstration, for example, a peaceful de public demonstration? Public demonstration, uh, um, like a July first march. Yeah, um, I, I think it is. Uh, uh, you know, if it's a demonstration against something that uh, that the government uh, uh, is uh, is for, it stands for, then then I don't think that that is the right way to do it. Uh, and, you know, it's just like uh, um, uh, if you are a member of the uh, um, the executive council, you don't want to say something that that contrasts with the view of the of the you know the uh, that, that that comes out you know from from the government. Yeah. So you think that civil servants should be bound in the same way that um, executive councillors are bound? Yeah, they shouldn't say anything against the government. Uh, um, uh, um, of course, you know they they can 
they can uh, uh, express some 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 opinions, uh, but uh, not not something that that the uh, you know the, the government has uh, ha- has a clear position. It's it's very embarrassing, you know, for for civil servant, you know, to do, to to say something that that contrasts, you know, with the um, with the decisions of the government. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, I mean, I, you, I want... you can stay out. You know, yeah. you can stay out. And uh, and I think that's uh, uh, why a lot of people stay out of of civil service. You know, because uh, they 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 don't want to be bound. Mm. Yeah, they are. Um, you know, it's entirely honourable. You know, to quit and, uh, and and speak openly against the government. I, I think that's fine. You know, but if you're a part of the government, then it's very, very embarrassing. Okay, and it's not expected. All right, I should just uh, repeat. Uh, <clears throat> I, RTHK is a branch of the um, Hong Kong government, and I'm a civil servant. I'm a uh, general staff for the for the civil service. Yeah. Uh, and Andrew Lung, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for for joining us. So, as a, as a, as a former civil servant, uh, what do you make of this? Um, I mean, some people would say, well, being a civil servant is a job. Um, you don't have to swear an oath to. Um, Morgan Stanley, if you decide to work for Morgan Stanley. Um, but on, um, the, but on the other hand, if you work for Morgan Stanley and you're bad-mouthing the organization, boom, baby, you're out on the street. <laughs> no questions asked, and nobody really has a problem with that. But are civil servants different? There is a civil service code, and, yeah. and when you, when you, in, in the general course, when you become a civil service, you, you accede to the civil service code. Mm. Uh, so you're, you're, you're standing by the civil service code. Sure. Well, what, what are your thoughts on, the, on it, Andrew Lang? for giving me the, the opportunity um, because I have been a civil servant all my life, 38 years, uh, both before and after the handover um, and holding some fairly senior government positions. So I, um, I, 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 you know, it's, it's very, that uh, issue is very much uh, close to my heart. The first point I would like to make is that a distinction must be drawn uh, between um, disagreement with conditions of service because it's the, the right to protest uh, as employees um, is always there. It's enshrined in, in the basic law. So if you're not happy with uh, certain conditions of service, then civil service uh, organizations could indeed um, mount a strike. Um, is that against the government? Um, because the government's position is that on certain conditions of service, that's been laid down. But if there's this agreement, then under Hong Kong's labor law, then they have the right to... Uh, to, to go on a protest, but that must be um, distinguished from opposing the government on political issues, uh, and that uh, particularly is important for people holding high-profile jobs or who are politically appointed. For example, ministers uh, or vice ministers or under secretaries. Um, so there is no question that, that people in those categories um, uh, can 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 avoid. It is uh, being obliged to swear allegiance um, um, uh, to the Hong Kong SAR uh, under the basic law. Um, and you're talking about civil service regulations. Um, I think the small part of my early career uh, was devoted to um, administering uh, the so-called CSRs. Um, and, of course, there are lots of regulations there, and it apply to uh, sometimes different um, members of the government service. But the most important thing is that um, 
the dividing line is that what kind of profile that individual has. Mm. Um, even though someone is of a lower rank, but if he is an um, activist, and if he can mobilize a lot of um, other civil servants, that would be very different, even though that he could be you know, just uh, one of the, the lowest rank um, civil servant. But because of his profile, that is, 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 is a different matter. Mm. So I think that the distinction must be drawn um, and not saying, well, um, anything, <laughs> provided you are in the civil service, you can't oppose the government. Now, the, um, I think the game changer happened um, during last year's um, uh, sort of uh, riotous protests when an ex-government civil service minister openly, I mean, he himself uh, took part in drawing up the, the CSRs uh, on the need to swear allegiance himself, and for him to openly stood up on a platform in the calling the civil servants uh, to, 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 to hold fast to the so-called political uh, independence and opposing what is perceived to be government's political view is completely misleading. Um, because uh, he, when he drew up these regulations, mm. he knew that was behind it. He knew that there are different uh, kinds of considerations behind it. And for himself to call uh, for this kind of rallying civil servants uh, to oppose the government in a on a political issue openly, uh, that obviously rang the alarm bells in Beijing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you know, what, what follows. What, what about when the uh, the hospital authority workers uh, wanted to close the border and said they were threatened to go on strike if the, if the border wasn't closed in the early days of the COVID? Is, was that seen on the similar level of, of government uh, employees opposing the, go- the government policy of the time and organizing? Because, you know, the word, word on the street is that there's a bit of a witch hunt going on in the hospital authority now that things have quieted down to track those people down. Are they going to be first in line to, like, take the oath and, and as kind of a political test? Well, you talk about a covid um, uh, kind of pandemic at the height of the pandemic, uh, where the government is pushing uh, for uh, certain policies to manage that pandemic, uh, but for members of the health uh, and medical profession um, to openly oppose the government uh, on a policy issue, mm. um, it's nothing to do with the condition of service. It's really opposing a government um, a policy decided at the highest level. Um, that would not be. Uh, allowed in even normal circumstances, um, because at, at the end of the day, there are channels uh, within the, the CSR uh, to voice their opinions um, uh, to, 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 you know, to, the, to their superiors, to within the, the, the system, but to mobilize the entire uh, profession uh, and indeed uh, the rest of the community. That also, um, in, uh, uh, right in the hills uh, of these riotous protests. Uh, so there is a heavy political element in it. Uh, apart from the political element, it's an open opposition to a government policy. It's not in a position to individual condition of service. This is quite different. Yeah, and I mean, this, uh, this, this topic of oaths, which we're, you know, we, we kind of picked today, it naturally blows up into the bigger issue of civil servant leeway in terms of voicing opinions or organizing. Um, but to, to come back to the oath specifically, if it asks people to be loyal to the special administrative region, whatever that means, and the basic law, I mean, presumably civil servants voicing their opinions and organizing wouldn't necessarily be against that because they could say, well, I'm doing this 
you know, because I think this is what's right for the special administrative region, and I and I believe this is what's in accordance with the basic law. Um, even if that was opposing the government, if they thought the government was doing something that, I mean, do you see what I mean? Like they could swear the oath and still carry on as they were, or is that not true? Is there something different well, about the oath? Does it change um, the game? I, I don't think that many people would dispute uh, the civil servants need to swear allegiance to the, to the Hong Kong special administrative region. After all, you're in the employ of the Hong Kong SAR. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see why people should really refrain from that. Um, but I think that most of the civil servants worry that by uh, signing this, um, then they will be beholden to certain um, uh, kind of uh, action uh, of the government uh, against their, um, well, various acts which they, they, um, they, they uh, they took up, um, perhaps un- um, uh, unconsciously, uh, as an expression of, the, uh, of their personal opinion, for example, over the dinner table, uh, for example, in WeChat uh, or, or, or in um, WhatsApp groups, um, things like that. So mm-hmm. I think that there, there need to be a kind of careful uh, definition. I think that that's what most of the civil service regula- uh, uh, organizations are asking the government yeah. to clarify, you know, what are the red lines. That's interesting, actually, yeah, raising social media. I mean, I mean, Holok Sang, you know, you said that, yeah, a public demonstration, uh, maybe it wouldn't be appropriate for a, a civil servant to join a public demonstration which was opposing a, a government policy. Uh, what about a comment on, on social media? Uh, would that be, and what if it was private? I mean, what, you know, what if it was limited to a group of friends? Would that be permitted? Yes, I, I remember having seen uh, a report to the effect that... Uh, was it Australia or some other government, you know, uh, Western governments, that had actually fired some civil servant for their expressions in social media. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is uh, uh, documented. You know, so, so it's not uh, just the, the SAR government that is considering this sort of thing. Yeah. So, so you'd, you'd support that? You think that would be the right way to go? Yeah, unfortunately, um, that is the practice in in many many countries. Um, whether there was an oath or whether there's no oath, still um, a civil servant would be held accountable for saying something that counters the government's uh, policies. Mm. Unfortunately, that 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 is the that is the practice. I mean, or, or, or in any workplace, really. And I mean, I, I have to apologize. I don't know why we picked on J.P. Morgan at the top of the half hour. They just it was a it was a big prominent company that just popped in. I'm sure they have proper HR procedures to deal with something like Morgan this. Morgan Stanley, I think, or Morgan, well, whoever we picked. I mean, it was just arbitrary. We just you know picked it out of our uh, proverbials. But I mean, no, they're particularly evil. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I'm, right. joking. I'm joking. Okay, he's joking. <laughs> Clarification for the lawyer's call. Um, but I mean, you know, organizations have these, whether they're government, whether they're business. Um, and uh, but I mean, that's normal. I mean, if my my staff were trashing me up and down in social media, I'd fire them in a heartbeat. I, you know, I pretty much have to. So, but I mean, is the oath taking different though? Because I mean, and I think Andrew Lung raised this: is that uh, there are laws. Uh, that deal with people who break oaths in positions of uh, of trust in government. If you're a judge and you break your oath, there's separate criminal code, I think, that deals with that. 
And I, I'm not. I mean, sure. an, an oath. I mean, uh, my impression, Andrew Lung, is that an oath uh, kind of involves the whole person a lot more than you don't have. A, you don't take an oath when you go and work at McDonald's because you, well, you're, you're bound by a contract, a simple well, contract. An oath has to be kind of a, a different level of commitment. You'd expect it of senior Mitchell. Here? Yeah, let yeah. me finish. Yeah. Let me finish my um, rambling. Okay, sure. uh, and <laughs> uh, you know, for a judge or something like that, as I say, where it's where it's uh, more than just a job. It's something else altogether. Yeah. How looks now? Did you yes, I was going to say, you know, I, I, I said it right in the beginning that uh, this uh, behavior expected uh, implicitly, you know, without the oath from the very beginning. Uh, but uh, the behavior of the uh, some civil servants uh, have alarmed the government to the extent that they, they thought it necessary, you know, for, to, to, to make them make the oath. Yeah. But and that's it, that's. I mean, yeah, that's that's you, the wrong way round, isn't it? That's Andrew. You, you see, yeah. uh, uh, if there is any uh, dissenting opinion, you can uh, um, internally um, communicate it to the superiors or or someone who is in the position, you know, privately. You know, mm. it's entirely uh, possible. You know, it's possible, and uh, and people can debate about it within the government. But but if it's the government's position, you don't openly. Oppose it, Andrew Lung. Yeah, I know you want to get some digs in. Just not, not, not proper. So we just got about about twenty seconds, Andrew Lung. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, I think that the, the only point I like to make, uh, stress again, is, is that it depends on the person's rank, status, profile. In other words, even though you have a a, a, a fairly senior rank, but if you are just uh, chatting with your uh, relatives uh, over the uh, dinner table entirely within your own family and nobody knows about it well uh, you, you really can't the oath is not a, a gag you know against your personal life in all circumstances mm -hmm. but on the other hand even if you are low um, a level um, um, maybe a sweet uh, sweeper but then you are the head uh, of a, a kind of labor organization with a high political profile then for you to openly oppose the government is quite a different matter okay well but i don't we're out of time. Andrew Lung, many, many thanks for okay. Thanks for joining us, uh, International and Independence China Strategist and uh, Ho Lok Sang from Lingnan University. We we'll continue with Elizabeth Bosho, We hope uh, after the news at nine. Drop us a line. Backchat at rthk.hk. Also, think about Person of the Year. The weather mainly cloudy. Fourteen degrees now. Humidity is at seventy-five. Hk. Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Wednesday morning with Andrew Work and me, Hugh Chilton. We were talking in the first part of the programme. We continue to talk now about the issue of uh, oaths for uh, civil servants. Uh, it's reported that uh, undersecretaries, political assistants, they're going to start taking their oaths of uh, allegiance uh, this morning. And uh, then there will be uh, further uh, oaths uh, to be taken by some uh, senior civil servants, including permanent secretaries and departments heads on uh, Friday. Friday. Uh, uh, Carrie Lam uh, will be personally administering the vows for the political appointees. Uh, and uh, the vow is, um, so I can, I've got the Yeah, wording. I thought it was important to read it, eh, Hugh, just so people know what we're talking about. This is, as I understand, this is what will be used because this is what has been used for civil servants uh, since the 1st of July. Um, the uh, oath says, I declare that being appointed as a civil servant of the government of the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region of the People's Republic of China, I will uphold the basic law of the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region of the People's Republic of China, bear allegiance to the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region of the People's Republic of China, be dedicated to my duties and be responsible to the government of the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region. 
So that's the uh, oath. Uh, that's the uh, text uh, of the oath. That's what we're, we're talking about. Um, some okay. Some interesting uh, emails uh, from listeners. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, uh, Umesh says, "I don't see what is the big deal over this." As one of your guests says about Morgan Stanley, if you badmouth <laughs> the house that feeds you, then boom, you are out. Many companies have stipulated contracts and what you can do and cannot. So if you don't like your contract, don't sign it. That comes uh, from uh, Umesh. Jeez, we got to be careful. With our random examples, yeah, of okay, Hugh, because well, we'll people people are that. seizing on them as if it's as if we really meant it. We're particularly grateful, actually, for Morgan Stanley for the amazing support for Operation Santa Claus, mm. uh, especially this year with uh, with a record amount. So thank you yeah. for that. Uh, and uh, uh, Matthew, uh, let's just maybe just go back to the the other issue on people's uh, minds. Our minds at the moment is a person of the year. We're looking for nominations to say for person of the year. We'll we'll start the voting. Uh, we hope uh, next week. Um, we've had a couple of uh, ideas uh, suggested uh, Andrew says as I know you've sometimes featured a group of people as well as single people uh, if allowed this year I'm nominating frontline health workers that is uh, from uh, Andrew thank you very much indeed for that uh, and uh, Umesh says on person of the year the COVID-19 virus uh, look on the plus side it's helped greatly with patching up the ozone layer it's made the air cleaner everywhere due to drop in transportation it's taught the world that business can be done through Zoom instead of throwing money on unnecessary travel. In many cases, it's brought families closer, being stuck in the same house. Then again, I've heard divorce rates have spiked in some places, so 50-50 on that. That is uh, from uh, Umesh and Susan Lavender says, I second Andrew Work's nomination. Uh, David Webb. Um, thanks in, very much indeed for that. Um, on um, this morning's uh, topic, Bowen says, Dear Backchat, that the major part of the contents of the new declaration stroke oath is required as a result of Article 6 of the National Security Law is something few will dispute. <clears throat> Thank you, Bowen, for reminding us that. It is... Uh, dictated in the national security law apart from anything else uh, bone continues the real question is if the government continues to insist on making mistakes like the extradition bill last year or its failure this february to respond to demands to close the border while health workers were obligated to seriously risk their own lives at work people will defy its orders and act against its wishes whatever documents they have been made to sign the declaration stroke oath may act as quote an open acknowledgement of the acceptance and genuine manifestation of the responsibilities of civil servants, unquote, but whether it will, quote, further safeguard and promote the core values that should be upheld by civil servants, unquote, as the government directs them to, it may be added, ultimately depends on whether the government is able to command the respect and support of the community. Let's focus on the reality of the situation instead of the rhetoric. That is uh, from uh, Bowen. And Matthew says, Professor Ho and Andrew Lung are talking sugar-coated nonsense. An oath like this might make sense if we had a genuinely representative and legitimate government but we don't so it's just an, another obvious step towards one country one authoritarian system rule in this kind of system even dr li wen liang who blew the whistle whistle for the world on the virus in wuhan can be arrested for opposing the party's line that's from uh, matthew joining us now is elizabeth bosher former deputy secretary for economic services in the uh, british hong kong administration good morning to you Ms. Pasha? Hi, thank you much indeed for, for joining us. What do you make of this uh, uh, oath requirement? Um, I, I think it's troubling on a number of fronts. I mean, I think one point to perhaps be clear on straight away is that I agree with Andrew that um, <laughs> as a civil servant, you, you are not really entitled to publicly express opinions which go 
uh, as our country to to establish government policy or to the government's thinking. <clears throat> and I think what's troubling about this happening now is it seems to be um, part of a, a concerted effort to um, by government to to put the wind up civil servants to uh, intimidate them in in one way or another. And I think that is that is a major concern because the unions are quite right. They don't. They don't really understand what this means, and um, they're perfectly justified in asking the Civil Service Bureau to um, provide greater clarity on what exactly this means for them as they carry out their day-to-day duties. I mean, their big fear, which I think is understandable, is that they would inadvertently breach their obligations under this oath. And at the moment, the Secretary for Civil Service, Patrick Nip, has really not answered any of their concerns in any satisfactory manner. Yeah, I I think, Elizabeth, you know, you you make a good point, because on the face of it, the language of it uh, doesn't seem all that offensive. But of course, the government has the full power of, you know, in the case of criminal cases, the power of the, uh, you know, uh, Teresa Jung's department, the Department of Justice to prosecute people, which is a, you know, huge pressure and analysis. And this gives them another tool, which is they can, you know, the part about responsibility to the government ill-defined, they can now bring the entire process of disciplining civil servants to bear, even if you know, charges leveled against somebody are not borne out in the end. The process of having to defend yourself is is torturous. And the government has unlimited resources to to prosecute those charges, even if there's no expectation of a, of a you know, a genuine problem. Mm. I, I think a big issue is, is what are the implications of this for, for the way that, that uh, government business is conducted. And it will impact much more directly on, on certain grades in the civil service than others. Uh, uh, as many people know, the administrative service is the key, uh, which is what I belonged to when I was in government, is the key policy-making um, grade in, in the, the government. And uh, recently there's been quite a lot of discussion about how morale in the administrative service is, is beginning to um, go down. Um, I've heard anecdotally of, of some former colleagues who are very dismayed at the way things are going, and, and there have been... Um, resignations of people at quite senior levels in in the administrative service mm-hmm. this is troubling because they are the key they, they are key to the policy making process in government and if they feel constrained about putting forward their ideas or their thoughts or disagreeing with a senior officer is somebody going to suddenly turn around to them and say oh you're being disloyal you know i want to do this and you're disagreeing with me um you're being disloyal to your your oath of office I mean, it's, it's all these wrinkles to it that, that are causing concern, I think. But, yeah, but, but, then, mm. but then the response there would be, um, yes, uh, and uh, if you don't like it, you can go and work in the private sector. I mean, that, yes. that, yeah, that creates a broader problem. Uh, Andrew, you made this point. Is, is, mm. is loyalty to, to what and whom? I mean, uh, I think if you join the civil service, in, implicitly, of course, you want to serve your community. You want to be a good public servant. You want to be loyal. Um, if at a certain point you can't act in good conscience, then, of course, the, the option you have is to resign. And quite frankly, some of us who've left the service feel that some of our former colleagues should have resigned rather than to have uh, stood by some of the recent policy developments. But, but that's another discussion. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I mean, people say, yeah, these, these kinds of uh, oaths are, are quite common in other places, but they're normally oaths to... 
the system, the uh, the figurehead. I mean, here, here this oath is saying SAR, basic law and responsibility to the government. Um, we don't know what that is. I mean, in Canada, when you're in the military, you don't swear an oath to the government. You don't swear an oath to the prime minister. You swear an oath to the queen. The word Canada is not even in the oath, but you swear an oath to the queen because nobody expects she's actually going to come down off her throne and tell you what to do. It's, it's the concept, and that gives you leeway to disagree with your superiors because it's the idea that you are serving a higher purpose, right? Uh, and it's not clear how this is going to work out in this situation. As you say, if you disagree with your superior, you're going to be accused of being disloyal or violating the responsibility to government part of the oath. And uh, that could be problematic just for the overall quality of governance in Hong Kong. Yes, I mean, I, I think it is. It, it's difficult because there is no really proper distinction between the, the politically appointed um, ministers of, and, and the civil service. It, it's not, as you say, it's not the same as, as having a politically elected government in power. And uh, in that situation, the concept of civil service neutrality is well understood. You mustn't, you know, declare your allegiance to one party or another. You must serve whichever, whichever party is in power equally, efficiently and effectively. But we don't have that situation here, and it's that blurring of responsibilities and the fact that civil servants are moving into political roles in, in quite substantial numbers that I think is causing concern. What, what do you mean moving into political roles? What are you thinking of? Well, uh, Patrick Nitz, for example, was an administrative officer before, so was Carrie mm. Lam. Um, so they've kind of shifted their, their, mm. their role from being part of the civil service to taking on a political role for which they have no no mandate, let's be honest. I mean, normally if you're in, in a political position, you have some kind of electoral mandate behind you. But um, this is not the, the, the situation that we have in Hong Kong. What what did you understand political neutrality to mean? There's a lot of, you know, toing and froing about that. Um, it's part of the civil service code that uh, civil servants are politically neutral. What does that even mean? Well, I think in Hong Kong, in a limited situation, it means that you can't join political parties and you can't canvass and you can't become a district councillor. In other words, you can't espouse particular um, political opinions publicly mm. because that would compromise your ability to provide neutral advice on, on the determination of policy. Mm. So, uh, uh, mm. I think that, I mean, that is set out in, in the basic law that you, you can't join political parties and so on. That is clear. Um, I think it becomes a little bit more tricky when you're saying to people, well, you can't go and take part in a peaceful march or, or, or demonstrate peacefully or express your opinion in, in the newspaper. But in fact, as a civil service, I think it's a civil servant, it's probably clear that you can't make any public expression of disagreement with, with government policy. As I say, I'm much more concerned about the implications of this for the workings, the internal workings of government. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's already um, rumours and have been for some years that um, uh, minuting on... You're a civil servant, Hugh, so you will understand how government files work. There is one bit that has all the correspondence that's going backwards and forwards with other departments and bureau. And then there's the minute page, which is the discussion between... Um, junior officers and their, their seniors and their bosses, which contain their recommendations as to how policy should, should go forward and what decisions should be taken. And this is a very vital part of the, uh, 
of, of the paper trail within government for, for future archiving and for, for records purposes. Okay. Now, what I've been told is that increasingly, when these discussions take place, a, a, a junior officer, say a junior directorate officer, will put up recommendations on file to the minister, expecting to get a written response. Uh, but instead, there is a discussion that takes place, and then the senior writes back and says, we spoke, with actually no specific direction given on the file. Mm. It's a way of kind of covering your back. Um, and in that situation, I mean, I think some officers are having to resort to, t to making their own notes, you know, to protect themselves in future. Mm. Okay. Sort of, I won't go on and on, but this sort of discipline is tremendously important, and people shouldn't feel inhibited about... Um, expressing their opinions. Mm. All right. Uh, GT says, I have friends, this is an email, I have friends that work for the government and I can tell you for, that for a fact that there is a team in the government which is reviewing everybody's public profiles, Facebook accounts, LinkedIn accounts and other social platforms. Uh, such many of the civil servants are cleaning up their private profiles, such as deleting their Facebook accounts. This is because they, they have clicked, like or follow on anyone who has any association to any protester or protest movement that can be disciplined or have the opportunities for promotion removed. So the fear is real. That comes uh, from uh, GT. Is that what you've been hearing as well, Elizabeth Bosher? Yes, I mean, I think there's a distinction between... Um, I mean, if you if you comment publicly on Facebook or... Instagram or any of these, I think you are making yourself a little bit vulnerable um, because the whole world can see it. Um, I would make a, 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 a big distinction between that and, say, your own private WhatsApp discussion groups and, and so on, which I think are entirely your own business and, and shouldn't be subject to scrutiny. Hmm. Elizabeth, how, how big a motivator? One of these articles uh, that was in the newspaper recently about AOs quitting uh, because the articles that was in the SCMP cited uh, their lack of input, that they felt like they, they weren't having an opportunity to give it. They opinions. weren't making policy. I mean, you referred to them as policymakers, didn't you? Yeah, but yeah. The article was basically it was coming. Yeah, basically, commands were coming down from on high, and they were having no opportunity for input. And these are people that could expect to raise. I think they were setting about three hundred and fifty to four hundred fifty thousand Hong Kong dollars a month at the top of the career, plus the pension after. How big? But they were quitting nonetheless. But I mean, I don't know if it could be called a wave. Maybe it was just a cluster. Um, Elizabeth, how strong a motivator for that? Like, I mean, how much will people in the civil servant kind of bite their tongue and? you know, suffer in silence because they're willing to make that trade-off for the golden handcuffs and the pension. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, well, I, this has come up before and it's been an issue for some time, is that um, what I was describing just now was, was what I was used to, which is a sort of bottom-up process of, of policy development where um, ideas would begin to percolate at, at quite a junior level in, in for example, the administrative service, in discussion with the departments for which they were responsible. And then, you know, it would work its way up through the system, through the directorate, and finally go to um, the head of the branch, policy bureau or whatever, for a, a final decision. Um, what seems to be happening now is that ministers, um, and indeed the chief executive herself, are... are making decisions and then turning around and saying to their, their juniors, their staff, this is what I want to do. You give me good reasons to explain why I want to do it. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is an upside down way of, of policy making. This is not the way it should be because 
the only way you can ensure that that policies are sound is by um, looking around every every corner, really examining all the what ifs. You know, what if this happens, or what if that happens? What could go wrong? And I mean, the introduction of the surrender of fugitive offenders um, bill, which is what caused all this problem in the first place, is a perfect example of of how that wasn't done. Mm. People didn't look round corners. They didn't really realise how greatly upset the population here was going to be and the ramifications of that. I remember even 10 years ago, we were talking about how the, uh, you know, the, the loss of all the different levels of government that kept people in touch with the community had kind of been phased out. And, you know, the district councils don't really serve that role anymore. Uh, and so the government kind of lost touch with what was going on or how the community might react to that type of policy. Cause... Mm. I think the, the Civil Service Bureau has a real challenge on to, um, in terms of communication. It must, it must be more transparent, more open with its staff, or there is going to be a serious decline in morale, which is in, which is in nobody's interest. Do, um, do civil servants talk to the public anymore? Like, I mean, I, unless I'm having direct communication with government about a specific issue uh, that, I, you know, that, that we want to talk to them about, you just don't, I just don't meet anybody in the civil service around town. They just don't see, like, I meet people of all walks of life in Hong Kong, but civil servants, you know, unless you actually are lo- hunting them down in the department that is relevant to your concern, they just don't seem to exist outside of normal life. I mean, we just don't see them around anymore. Do they kind of keep to themselves? Have they become a cloistered group? I think they do, Andrew. This, this came up, as, as you will know, when, when Matthew Jern was, um, came on the radio to talk about the policy address. And, and one or two people said to him, you know, why is it that, that we in the uh, uh, primarily English-speaking community never hear anybody at the senior level in government coming on to, for example, back chat or or any of the RTHK English English programs to explain policy. I mean, why is there not somebody from the Civil Service Bureau on this morning? Mm-hmm. In, in the old days, there would have been, when I was in government, there would have been somebody from the Policy Bureau or Department coming online to, um, to put that position. Yeah, I'm just talking about people in, like, life. You know, I meet people all over the place and, you know, whether it's in a Dapai Dong or, you know, just talking to people around. I just never, I can't remember ever running into somebody handing me a, a civil servant business card outside of a formal meet the government setting. Mm. I don't know. I can't explain that. Could, I'm be, could, be, could be my life, but I'd be interested to hear from callers and, and things that what their experience on that front is if they just ever run into these people in their social clubs, you know, and wherever. I, I guess the argument would be that they really crossed the line, the civil servants crossed the line when they did have those public demonstrations of of civil servants, dedicated to civil servants who are opposing the fugitive offenders uh, or ordinance. Um, that crossed the line and uh, really people have got to be reminded because that's all this oath is, is really just kind of a reminder and an underlining again of, of the commitments that were already made uh, implicitly in the civil service code. Uh, and that's why, it's, that's why it's needed. Mm. Well, that's very clear, Hugh. And, and I mean, my, my point there would be why doesn't Civil Service Bureau come out and say explicitly these are the problems? These are the times that you would be crossing the red line. And I think that's what the unions want. They just want it spelled out. Mm-hmm. That um, there isn't, as I say, um, room for this to, to be uh, extended in all, in all directions. <clears throat> it's, um, as we know, the new national security law is pretty, 
broadly cast, and this makes people uneasy. And so I think there's, there's also concern that because this is being brought in under the auspices... Of, I mean, OK, well, do you, do, you, do you agree that that was crossing a line, that that was to going too far to organise a public demonstration uh, opposing a government policy by, by civil servants? Yes, uh, I think that probably okay. was going too far. And, and what if you joined... What hand, if, sorry, to, I, I think there's a distinction between that and what what the, uh, the workers in the hospital authority were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, because on the face of it, they were opposing policy. But they were also saying, look, you're, you're putting us, we frontline healthcare workers, you're putting us at, at risk. And uh, I think in a circumstance like that, um, then there is justification for groups of staff coming forward and saying, um, especially if they're not being listened to properly from what, within the system. What about civil servants joining... Um other demonstrations like the July the 1st or something like that do you think that's appropriate I mean some would be recognizable I guess do you think I I guess that's the point if you think you're in danger of being recognized as participating then it is problematic um and social media area to be honest social media is a very gray area I I suppose um I mean I I know many colleagues former colleagues who who would just never as on principle would never participate in in a a demonstration because they feel I mean one that they might be spotted and two but they feel in principle that it's wrong and I respect that opinion mm-hmm. and social media what if you um, you know what if you posted a message which was opposing a government policy would that be appropriate if you liked someone's message if you retweeted something no I think I, as I started off saying you I, I think as a civil servant you have to to when it comes to your public position you have to be very very careful indeed and um and anything that you you express publicly against the government is is, is not appropriate mm. that's fair i'm concerned about what this means for the internal system i think this is um once you start making civil servants feel intimidated looking over their shoulder wondering whether by doing this or saying that, they may be putting themselves in in a position of being accused of not being loyal. loyal. I mean, this, yeah, this yeah. this this and question of mm-hmm. this question of responsible the government at the end of the oath. I mean, I mean, there's I guess there's a couple of different ways that could be interpreted. If if the messaging across government is being responsible, the government means speaking out when you think something's wrong or giving your full range of input on a policy. That could be a very healthy thing, but if the messaging is disagreeing with your superior means you are not being responsible to government, then it very quickly becomes a race to the bottom as everybody tries to point out everybody else, you know, being disloyal before they get fingered. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's what I call the difference between a, a, a you know a proper bottom up and and um, process of discussion amongst amongst officials and. Um, I can't remember the, the, his, his name in Star Trek, the Patrick Stewart character, who would just say, make it so. You know, this, this seems to be um, increasingly the way that the government is being handled. You know, the staff are just being told, this is what I want to do, and you make it happen. Sure, but to, to be fair to Com- Captain Picard, he would, he would say make it so after he oh, consulted yeah. with all of his senior people. And, uh, you know, they were, of course, all brilliant and good looking and all the rest of it. But because <laughs> it was TV. Picard, that was it. That was it. Okay, Jean-Luc co- Picard. Uh, just before you go, a couple of comments. This is on Facebook from TC who says there's a difference between working for the SAR government and Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley is a private corporation. The SAR government operates on public money. TC says I'm interested in its application.
immigration to civil servants with foreign passports. For example, the British police commanders on the front line of the 12th of June 2019 confrontation or equivalents, like RTHK's uh, Hugh Chiverton. Uh, many civil servants have, uh, uh, have uh, uh, foreign passports, of course, Elizabeth Boater, as you know. And I think the government kind of backed down, didn't it, recently, in a fairly quiet way, because it had been floated the idea of... Uh, uh, you know, making civil servants uh, not have foreign passports and so on, and they, they moved away from that fairly rapidly. Uh, any thoughts? Would there be any conflict between pledging allegiance to the SAR and your and a foreign nationality? Um, no, I don't think so. Not in an international city. Um, as has been pointed out, I think there's a lot of a lot of people in Hong Kong in all walks of life who have second second passports or whose uh, offspring have second passports. I mean, where, where do you draw the line? I think um, uh, it's the way that Hong Kong has worked pretty efficiently for a long time, and I don't see there's any, any yeah. problem with that. I mean, it's very clear that if you reach certain senior levels, you have to give up yeah. foreign yeah. Well, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us, Elizabeth Bosher. Uh, oh, any, any thoughts for a Person of the Year? Who would you nominate for a Person of the Year for 2020? Putting you on the spot here now. I haven't got anybody to nominate, but I'd, I would like to um, second the, the nomination of Dr. Chuang. I think she's done a, a phenomenal job uh, day after day coming on and so calmly and unhysterically sort of describing the situation. And um, I've, I found her... her Presence very reassuring over the last few weeks and months. Great. OK. Thank you very much indeed for joining us, Elizabeth Bosher, former Deputy Secretary for Economic Services. Uh, and uh, some more comment on the person of the year. Uh, Nikki says, I would like to nominate Professor Ben Cowling in recognition of his eloquence and good sense when being interviewed on the COVID pandemic. Mm. Uh, and uh, Colin says, Peter Choi, a veteran of the Battle of Hong Kong in World War II, died aged 98 in August this year. Peter helped establish the Hong Kong World War II Veterans Association. So uh, Peter Choi, uh, uh, that nomination. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Goback says, I nominate David Webb. He seems to have a good handle on not just what's going on wrong in Hong Kong, but importantly, he knows what to do about it. Oh. Uh, and uh, Gene says, I cannot believe that someone suggested nominating the person who suggested paying people to get the virus as person of the year. That's, that's <laughs> Maybe that takes David some more Webb. explanation. Um, yeah, so many have suffered during the pandemic. We surely don't want to encourage people to get the virus. Uh, maybe, maybe I should explain that to you? Or do we know yeah, that go on. So very quickly, he wasn't saying we should pay people to get the virus, but he was saying that if people do have the virus, people who work in jobs where if they don't show up, they don't get paid, like a taxi driver, for example. So they avoid going to see the doctors or getting tested because they don't want to lose their income. And what they're saying is give them enough money to cover that income so that if they do get tested and they are positive, it won't be a death knell for them. It won't be an, they won't be like completely wiped out by it economically. So that's what he meant. It doesn't mean paying people to actually get it. It means giving them, a, you know, an incentive to get tested. And it was and something that the government it. took up in a fairly limited kind of way. In like, a limited way. Not, not quite to what David Webb suggested. The last thing I saw, there was very little take up on it. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, um, anyway, Gene continues. The person of the year should really be the COVID-19 virus. Uh, its actual name is SARS-CoV-2. 
The other option, I would nominate Mr. Francis Liang, who started the Dr. Chanchuk Kwan fan page, which gives a very timely and informative summary of the press conference and also creates a forum where people can give opinions and suggestions. That is uh, from Gene. Thank you very much indeed uh, for all those uh, interesting uh, ideas. Backchat at rthk.hk uh, is the place to uh, send your nominations. We'll start the vote, we hope, uh, next week. Colin just says, uh, on the oath of allegiance, who came up with this bright idea? <laughs> and the weather, mainly cloudy, rather cool this morning, dry, with sunny intervals forecast during the day and a maximum temperature of about 17 degrees. The outlook still rather cool in the morning and the next few days, mainly fine early next week. The temperature difference will be relatively large between day and night. Andrew, thank you very much indeed. Always a pleasure, Hugh. 14 degrees, relative humidity, 74%. To prevent the spread of disease, make sure all drainage traps contain water. Pour half a liter of water into each drain outlet every week. Check sinks, baths, toilets, and floor drain outlets regularly. If drainage pipes are leaking or blocked, or drain outlets emit a foul smell, arrange prompt inspection and repair by a qualified person. Don't alter drains and pipes on your own. Visit chp.gov.hk for details. And 33, the news with Samantha Butler. An infectious disease expert has criticised the government for not regulating boarding houses for foreign domestic helpers since a coronavirus outbreak occurred in the summer at a dormitory. Dr Leung Chi Chu told RTHK that boarding houses were still crowded and conditions hadn't improved. Mandatory tests have been ordered for anyone who went to a dormitory in Taipo, where eight maids have contracted the virus, as well as a family of four whom an infected helper works for. The chairman of the Langkwai Fong Group, Alan Zeman, says the government's suppress and lift measures are killing the economy. He told RTHK that bars had been closed around 145 days this year because of the pandemic, and he agreed with the restaurant trade that at least $30 billion was needed to survive. And U.S. media say Mr. Biden will nominate his former rival Pete Buttigieg to be transportation secretary, which would make him the first openly gay member of an American cabinet. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Design, great interpreter of Beethoven. As well. Oh, so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Decipher what's happening behind the lift. Good morning. Inter- interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you and welcome to Wednesday back in the seat again for some more Morning Brew. 